0: Good morning. If you could, uh, please turn with me in your Bibles. We will be reading a letter from Paul to the Galatians in chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now so I say again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This concludes the reading of God's word. Good morning. It is indeed amazing to have the privilege to speak to you this morning, uh, realizing that uh, it is a generational blessing from God. And uh, words will not be enough to express my gratefulness to God for both His work in my life, but also for the opportunity to be able to address you. This morning, but before I continue, I also just want to take a moment to thank you. Firstly, for loving my family. Whenever we are here, we always feel at home and welcome. More than that, thank you for loving my family that is here permanently my mom and dad. Um, We know that they are well loved and that they are uh, amongst a community that loves God and loves them. And even much more than that, thank you for being a church that loves Jesus, that loves Him enough to gather on a Sunday morning, to sing and worship Him through song. Uh, We will continue to worship in a moment through reading and considering God's Word. But thank you also for loving Jesus enough to want to make sure that the nations hear of Him, for being a church that is missionally minded and cares for us even at a distance by supporting us. And I've already met a number of you this morning that have said, we pray for you regularly. Thank you for being that church. I am privileged to get to travel throughout Namibia and much of southern Africa on a quite regular basis. And whenever I ask the question do you have a relationship with God? I usually get a typical answer, yes. But when I start to press a little bit and I would ask people, how do you know that you have a relationship with God? I would get varied answers, but they all tend to have one thing in common and they would sound something like, I'm a pretty good person, I'm honest, I've got my act together. If God is love, I'm pretty lovable, at least more lovable than most. And so the question becomes, why do we think and why do we tend to give such an answer? Why do we think that when we do certain things, it means that we are in a good relationship with God? Well, I guess it's because in every other situation we find ourselves in, in every other relationship, we get what we put in, right? We, in a job, if someone's farming, at school, in relationships, if we want to move ahead, we have to perform. Nothing is free. And if that is the case for all other spheres of our lives, then certainly that has to be true of our relationship with God, Or is it? This morning, we will consider a group of people that certainly thought that was true. However, the Lord inspired a man that we all know to be the Apostle Paul, who wrote a letter to the church in Galatia, in which he warns against the thought that we can earn or work for right standing with God. Why? Why? Because the essence of Paul's letter to the Galatian church is a warning that right standing with God is a gift that is freely given, it's freely received by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. So it is Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross through his life, his death, and his being raised again that makes us right with God. That's the gospel, and anything that says differently is a false gospel. Therefore, any claim made or work brought to God as a contribution to God's work through Christ that aims to complete the gospel or earn the benefits of the gospel on our lives is a false hope. And anyone attempting to do or teach such lies is accursed. My prayer this morning is that Paul's message to the Galatians, and ultimately to us, may bring a deep conviction from the Holy Spirit that we too, all too often, bring our best efforts to God, thinking that they somehow complete or earn the gospel's benefits for ourselves, when in fact, all they do is cause us to desert Christ and turn to a different and ultimately false gospel. On the flip side... The encouragement to us this morning will be that we can do nothing except receive in faith the grace of Jesus Christ, because what he accomplished is not only wholly sufficient, it is already completely done. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to read from your word and consider what you want us to hear. Lord, I thank you that we can meet freely and joyfully without any fear this morning, as so many other churches all around the world, that the enemy will somehow barge in through those back doors at any point because it is illegal to own a Bible or illegal to listen to your word. Thank you, Lord, that that is not the case. Thank you that you've given us your word and we can quite humbly and boldly come before you. And so, Lord, we ask you that you will humble our hearts that you will prepare our hearts, that our hearts will be fertile soil for your word to land on this morning, that your word would take root in our lives and that we will grow and that we will apply and become more like your son. Lord, will you bring understanding to our hearts and teach us how to apply? And Lord, we thank you that your word is sufficient, it is enough, and it is profitable, it will accomplish what you wanted to in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you don't have your Bibles open, you can turn them on. Uh, and we will look again at verses six and seven. Paul writes I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so point one this morning is distorting the gospel means deserting God. Distorting the gospel means deserting God. Now we will spend much time this morning considering what the gospel is, what it accomplished, and what our response to that should be. This is the foundation from where we consider this morning's text, and so I believe it would be wise for us to begin by taking a moment to consider the beauty that lies in the truths of the gospel, truths such as the fact that we have all fallen short of the glory of God, the truth that our sins requires a perfect sacrifice and that Jesus became sin for us by coming down to earth and living a perfect, sinless life, that he died on the cross for your sins and mine. It's also true that God poured out his judgment that we deserved on Jesus, that Jesus was dead and raised again, that he had overcome sin and death, and that he now makes available to each and every one of us that sacrifice on the cross as a substitutionary death in our place if we would be willing to trust and depend completely on Jesus' works and not our works. Now, with the gospel in mind, when Paul writes words like, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and not turning to a different gospel, our initial thoughts become, at least mine were, What are they doing? Did they start worshiping idols, a golden calf? Did they start doing child sacrifice or just denounce God altogether? Clearly, they are doing something incredibly wrong to raise this level of concern and rebuke from the Apostle Paul. I mean, he says that they deserted God and he says they did it quickly. Now, to give a bit of context for what exactly they were doing, what incredible thing the Galatians were doing wrong, I want us to consider two other portions from Galatians. Galatians 2 verse 16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So we see immediately that they were bringing works of the law. They have distorted the gospel and fallen away from God by bringing their own works. But which ones? Well, if we were to look in Galatians 5, Paul tells us that they believe false teachings that taught that being circumcised would put them in right standing with God. So the teaching that the false teachers were bringing was actually just that you first had to be circumcised before the grace of Christ, before what Christ accomplished on the cross would be applied to us. It was a work of the law, a work of man. Everything else in their teaching seemed to be in step with the gospel, the true gospel, but they added one small human act in order for the free gift of Christ to apply, you first had to become a Jew. Now, this was a completely false teaching because it required that we have to add to or even supplement the gospel with works instead of just believing that we have been called, according to these verses, in the grace of Christ. And it is so severe, it's so wrong that Paul says, when we do that, we are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. When you and I try to add our own works to the gospel, we don't approve on it and we don't earn it, but we rather the gospel becomes distorted. And by distorting the gospel, they were deserting God. It was on my birthday May 5th, 2006, when I first set feet in this church building, I had just completed my freshman year of university down in Cleveland, Tennessee, and uh, I had spent most of that day traveling back from there to here, and that same evening, I attended my first membership class under the teaching of Aaron Campbell. And somewhere in the middle of that summer, God made it clear that I would not be returning to Cleveland, Tennessee, but that he wanted me to stay in Richmond, to become a member of this church, and to serve this church by helping the maintenance guys, Lee Ingram, who's part of the Fredericksburg church still in the, just a little bit north of here, and Mike Parrish, and I was helping them with the day-to-day upkeep of these premises. I was hungry for acknowledgement, and not only the acknowledgement of men, but in all my serving, I thought that The things I was doing would put me back in right standing with God. So as I cleaned this building week by week, it was my regular practice that when I was in some far corner cleaning, and I heard either someone from the staff and especially some of the pastoral staff, the leadership, come over from the offices to the building, that I would... And this is a bit embarrassing to admit, but I would run from back in those corners to the most open space I could find, and even if I'd already cleaned there, I would clean it again so as to be seen working hard. I made sure I was visible, but Scripture was clear that such serving was only self-serving, that my works were dead and that I had received my reward in full. So over years of serving and under, sitting under a steady diet of solid food in the form of expository preaching from this very pulpit, I came to realize that my works before men were dead and meaningless. Not only was I not impressing men, but much worse, I was not impressing God. In fact, I was attempting to rob him of his glory. Instead, God started to teach me that as long as my works were before men and unto men, that I was missing the point and missing him. Instead, he invited me to have faith that the season was not about what I was doing, my works, but about what he was doing in me My works of serving were actually more about learning to have faith that God had a plan and he was busy building into me the very foundation stones of serving that I continue to serve the nations from in Namibia on this day. My reward was not in the acknowledgement of men or pastors, but my reward was in Jesus acknowledging me before the Father. It was clear that as long as my works were before men and unto men, that I was deserting him who called me in the grace of Christ, and that I was believing a false gospel. Much the same, Paul's astonishment to the Galatian church, the larger part of his concern is the fact that the Galatians were... By listening to false teachers and false gospels turning away from grace. They were turning to a different gospel. Galatians 1 verse 6 again reads, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. You and I are called by grace. It's the saving act of God. It is not a team effort. We bring nothing good to the table. So what then is expected of us? that we would daily come humbly before the Lord, asking him to help us not only understand his word and the truth of it, but that he through his Holy Spirit would teach us to believe and apply and love the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, how do you and I, how may we be trying to please God? How do we try to add to the gospel or earn The gospel in our own life. To get practical, let's consider our giving, because we can tend to give in ways that attempt to earn the favor of God. We can give and be tempted to think that we are good or we are in good standing with God because of our giving, when instead we should be giving out of the overflow of love and affection for what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross knowing that what we own are gifts from his hand in the first place. Or maybe when we come to church on Sunday morning, do we come to church on a Sunday morning because simply by being here we think that we've ticked the box, we are now in right standing with God, God will now approve of me? We can easily be tempted to bring our church attendance records to God as if that earns right standing with him when rather coming to church should be an opportunity that excites us as we get to meet with God and his people? Or how about in our parenting? Parents, do we teach our children the truths of God's word because it makes much of him or because we desire mainly to have well-behaved, obedient little children? Do we commend ourselves to God because we have well-behaved children or do we disqualify ourselves because we don't? How are we bringing works to God? Brothers and sisters, by the fact that the Galatians were trying to bring their works before God, they had in essence turned away from God. This should sober us. And I read verses 7 to 9. Not that there is another one, another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So Paul says not that there is another one. He wants to help us see that the gospel is clear. It has clear boundaries and exact details. There is no such thing as another gospel. And then he says that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. So Paul is essentially saying that when we distort the gospel, since there is no other gospel, it becomes no gospel at all. One of the things that can most quickly and easily derail our faith today is when we cling to something that we think may be truth. Mostly truth is pretty good, right? And we may think that it only deviates from the gospel a slight bit. It suits my needs a bit better. But when we tolerate slight deviations from the truth of the gospel, like thinking that we can bring our works to God as a manner of thanks or a payment, this piece of Scripture rebukes us for deserting God and believing a false gospel. Paul even says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. So this this Scripture acknowledges that what we may hear may be a form of gospel. A semi-truth may sound like a type of gospel, but it is contrary to what we have already been taught, or in our case, it would be contrary to Scripture. When we believe such an almost gospel, which then is not at all the gospel of Jesus Christ, we fall away from grace. It's also important to realize that these false gospels are not always teachings that are completely and utterly opposed to the gospel, the true gospel. Because the greatest struggle we face in African missions today, and I suspect that it may not be very different for you here stateside, is actually not other faiths. It is the prosperity and works-based gospel being proclaimed by false preachers. Now to that end, John Stott wrote, To tamper with the gospel is to trouble the church. Indeed, the church's greatest troublemakers now as then are not those outside who oppose, ridicule, or persecute it, but those inside who try to change the gospel. Or as J.R. Packer put it, a half-truth masquerading as the full truth becomes a complete untruth. And that is exactly why Paul was rebuking the Galatians by telling them to discard false teaching, because we can assume that at some point they knew truth. They had at least at some point received Paul's teaching, and they must have received it in a way that Paul approved of while he was with them, or he would have corrected them there and then. But now it seems that they did not hold fast to the gospel they received, Let's look again at Paul. He says, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, received. We receive the word by faith, and that changes us. It's what the truths of the gospel are accomplishing this morning all over the world, wherever it is preached well and biblically. It changes hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, it changes opponents to Jesus and his gospel and to co-heirs with Christ. What amazing grace. But when we become tempted to do or to earn our own way, when we want to accomplish the benefits of the gospel, the true gospel actually speaks directly to our pride. Because just receiving something so valuable so life-changing, so profound at no cost is unthinkable. Surely we can bring something to the table to show that we deserve this. And Paul here sternly twice in verses 8 and 9, rebuke such teachers and anyone who believes such fallacies with words such as accursed. We too should not and indeed cannot do anything except receive through faith the truth's and the grace of the gospel. The gospel is sufficient, but only when we allow it to change us rather than us trying to change it. An example of this that I believe would serve to bring the point across was, would be if I had a glass of very clean, healthy water. Here's a bottle of water. It's unopened. And if I told you that this is completely clean, but I am going to add one single drop of poison to this bottle, does that not make all of the rest of it undrinkable? The entire 99% drinkable water, at least before I added the poison, would have been good. In the same way, the gospel that relies 99% on Christ and his sacrifice, but asks us to bring 1% to the table is useless and a completely false gospel. It nullifies the cross and makes the 99% essentially zero. Let us not add to the complete and perfect work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Let us not think that we can go somehow from being an insolent opponent of the cross to now loving and savoring Jesus because we did something. What we might add will always be tainted with sin if it's not covered by the blood of Jesus. And just consider, even Paul did not do anything. He did not bring any action or work to the table. He was chosen and set apart by God. That's the gospel for us today. Christ gave himself to save us from this present evil age. And not only can you and I not add anything to the saving work, but why would we want to? It's done complete and perfect. It is enough. Isn't it a joy to know that it is enough apart from us? The gospel is not almost sufficient because then it would not be sufficient at all. It is completely sufficient apart from us and that is what makes it the true gospel. Brothers and sisters, this book, this word that God gave us, it has the power to change our lives. Its words are alive. Its words are profitable for teaching and for reproof, and for correction, and for training in righteousness. And it will accomplish, according to Isaiah, it will accomplish the purposes for which God sends it. Amen? Amen. And that brings me to the third point. We guard the truth by knowing the truth. Verses 8 and 9 again. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now it was quite interesting to me as I read this, that in the letter that Paul wrote, he did not address the teachers. Paul addressed the church members, the Christians, the believers. He did not address the false teachers urging them to stop preaching a false gospel. Paul was urging the church to throw out false gospel teachings and teachers. Why doesn't Paul address the false teachers and tell them to just stop their nonsense? And I believe because no person who occupies the space behind the pulpit can apply scripture to your or my life. Growth does not happen because we simply showed up to church on a Sunday morning. Preachers and teachers can teach. They can point to God, the truths and the wonders and the glories of Jesus Christ. But we as believers need to have the understanding and wisdom to know what is right and what is not. And we can only know the truth by humbling ourselves to and under God's word by asking him to grant us discernment. An example of how knowing the truth can help us to discern untruth can be seen by watching bank tellers. A bank teller is not taught to identify false currency by knowing what false currency looks like. There are a thousand kinds of false currency, but rather bank tellers are taught to know exactly what true currency looks like. And anything that looks or feels different than the exact truth is flagged for further inspection. This is exactly why it's important for us to know the truth, to spend time with God and in His Word, to continually be asking Him humbly to reveal the truth of His Word to us so that when we are confronted with something that is almost true or anything that deviates even slightly from the truth, we will immediately, by the grace of God and the leading of his Holy Spirit, be able to recognize it. I interact all too frequently with people, especially in rural settings in Africa, that were given false gospels, gospels that lead people to be legalistic, much like the Pharisees, as if their works make them good people, as if their works earn God's love and acceptance. And it brings much pain to my heart when I interact with people who do not have a tight grip on the gospel, but they are absolutely confident that they are going to heaven. They're deceived, and they've fallen away from grace. Do we know and cherish the truths of the gospel? The Galatians did not do that. They quite quickly fell prey to false teachings, and it earned them a sharp rebuke, which, if effective, may have brought them from the false teachings that they were believing back into right standing. But if not corrected by Paul, it may have earned them eternity in hell for believing a false gospel. Do we love the fact that it is by grace? And through Christ, according to the will of God, that we are saved and that we can add nothing to it. Are we okay with that? Do we believe it as truth? Because we all sometimes think or believe or feel that if only I read my Bible a little bit more, certainly God would be happy with me. If I just reached out to colleagues and led one new believer to Christ, if I just yelled less, drank less, smoked less, cheated or stole or stressed less, or maybe more. If I just memorized more scripture, prayed more, fasted more, believed more, tithed more, evangelized more, then God would be pleased with me. But brothers and sisters, these thoughts, if they lead us to thinking or believing that in doing them we are closer to God or gain his approval, not only distort the gospel of Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, but they make what Christ did as nothing. The point is we cannot add anything to the all-sufficient and complete work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And to think we can is pride and insolence and it distorts the truth of the gospel. That is why it is not only a different gospel, but a false and utterly evil gospel altogether. Now, just to answer the critic who might say, Josh, are you saying that we don't need to do those things you just mentioned? No, that is not what I'm saying. We should do these things I just mentioned as they are good and they glorify God. And since it's our job to protect and apply the truths of the gospel, we should know that we do them as a response and out of our love for God and his son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Response meaning after the fact and not in order to gain anything. God has already saved me, and so I want to live for him and give my life to him. A true and biblical teaching is, if you're a believer this morning, that you are saved and the work of Christ is finished. There are no more works to be added, and that's the truth. And out of that conviction and joy, we want to run from the things of this world, and we want to run to God, pleasing God. May God help us to understand and know and believe and love and hold fast to the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ that we may know truth as revealed by his Holy Spirit. May he help us to know that all had fallen short of the glory of God and that it required a perfect sacrifice, Jesus. That Jesus became sin for us by coming down to earth and living a perfect sinless life. That he died on the cross for your sins and mine. That God poured out the judgment you and I deserved on Jesus, that although he was dead, he was raised again, and that he had overcome sin and death, and now he makes available to you and me that grace, that sacrifice as a substitutionary death in our place, if we would be willing to trust and put our affections on him, so that one day... When we stand before the Father, we will not stand there with a righteousness of our own, our own works, but we will stand there with His righteousness, His one work. I hope this makes you happy. I hope this makes you want to sing. I hope this makes you want to glorify God and make much of Him because He is worthy. His gospel is complete, it is sufficient. And it is available to us in abundance this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is sufficient and that you gave it to us so that we could consider it this morning and learn from you and your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you that what you accomplished on the cross is sufficient apart from us. Lord, thank you that you do not expect of us to somehow bring something to the table, but that you, by your grace, lavish your love on us, that, as Matthew said this morning, you usher us in to the presence of God, that you are interceding for us. Lord, thank you that we can come Boldly yet humbly before your word, know that you want to speak to us as you have done this morning. And Lord, I pray that as we go, you will continue to speak to our hearts, this seed that has been planted by your word, that you would nourish it and grow it, that it would come to a point of application, that we would be convicted where we've fallen short of your glory, Lord, and that we would continually submit ourselves under you and under your good word which you've given us. Lord, may we not distort your gospel by thinking that we somehow bring something. But Lord, may we cherish your gospel and may we be willing to share it with others, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.